Mark Smith to Junior Church. Uh, what a great song and a great singing this morning. And I, I just love, that's one of my favorite songs. I just love that third verse where it says, uh, Oh, my sin, the, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in parts, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And aren't you thankful that when Christ forgave you of your sin, He didn't just forgive you of part of it, but all of it. And thank God for that. It's a wonderful song. I love that song. And again, great singing this morning. Let's take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And I do want to mention to a couple people to keep in prayer this morning that are not with us. Keep Evelyn in prayer. Uh, She's still not able to be here, but I know that she's hopeful uh, that she can come here uh, next week, she said, last time I talked to her. And uh, she's got her 91st birthday coming up, I believe. Is that right, Cindy? 91st birthday in February. I think it's like February 5th or 6th, and she's hoping uh, to be here during that week because she doesn't want to be cooped up on her birthday. Uh, So just pray for her with that, and then also keep Judy in prayer. She's had surgery. Uh, Praise the Lord, it went well, and now she's just recovering. So pray for her, and also keep Chris in prayer because he is still having a really hard time with that concussion. It just doesn't seem like he's making many improvements. Uh, Emily said this morning that he was improving a little bit, but let's just keep them in prayer as well uh, because they need it for sure. So uh, Mark chapter 2 is where we're at, and remember last week we looked at the leper, and man, that was a wonderful story, a great story. Uh, Not a story, but you know, it's it's a historical thing that actually happened that, that Christ did. And remember, uh, he, he healed that leper, and that leper, he was in rough shape. That leprosy, that was not something that you'd want to have back in, in those days as uh, you, would, you were basically like a walking corpse. But Jesus Christ, he came along, and he healed that man. He completely made him whole. And Jesus told him, remember, he said, do not tell anybody about this. Go uh, directly to the priest, get ceremonially clean, and then, you know, you can go about and make your sacrifice in the temple, and then that right there will make it so that your healing is seen as legitimate and you can be socially accepted. But what did the guy do? Did he obey? No. He went and told everybody about what happens because he was so excited. Which really, who wouldn't be, right? And we looked at the fact that today... Uh, as Christians, as believers in Christ, we have so much more than that leper did. Because before salvation, we were in worse shape spiritually than that leper was physically. And Jesus Christ, when he forgives us of our sins, we're made completely whole. We're forgiven 100%. And we are bound for uh, eternity with him in heaven. And we too should tell everybody. We should publish it. We should blaze it abroad like that leper did. But this morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read down to verse 12. Let's go ahead and read that. And the Bible says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one of the uh, one sick of the palsy, which was born of the four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus saw their faith and said unto him, unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. 
But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you uh, for sending him to die for our sins. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you know our needs. You know what we need, and, and you can meet our needs. I, I pray that this morning, as the Word of God is preached, that you'll just help us to see what we need, and that we will allow you to help us, to give us help. I pray that you'll uh, just be with those that are among us this morning, that have never trusted you for salvation. Maybe they're trusting in some, some work or maybe themselves or uh, some other ritual. Lord, I pray that you will open up their eyes, help them to have their spiritual blinders taken off, and today that they will see that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He is the only way for forgiveness from God. I pray that you will give uh, them that ability to see that and uh, that people will come to you by faith this morning. I pray that you work in our hearts. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say and not to say anything more uh, and nothing less as I point people to you. Uh, just be honored and glorified in this service and everything that's said and done this morning. In your holy and precious name, amen. So to start off uh, our text this morning, Jesus, remember again, as I mentioned, he had healed that leprous man. And then the Bible tells us that after uh, some days, which uh, could have been uh, several days, it could have been a couple weeks, it could have been a couple months, but after some days, according to verse 1, rumors spread of Jesus' whereabouts. And then he goes back to his ministry headquarters, which uh, was Capernaum. And the Bible tells us that he was in the house. And when it says in the house, that speaks to his home, which would very likely be the home of Peter and Andrew. That was, that was his normal dwelling place when he was in Capernaum. But as Jesus was in this home, due to his extreme popularity and due to the enormous crowd of people that were packed in, uh, the place where Christ was, uh, they, were, they were really crammed in there, just like sardines. They were, uh, the, the home here was bursting at the seams. I mean, let's look at it there. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says in verse 2, And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. So this place was packed. The crowd, it was so large. This house was so full that nobody could get in. And, it, and as we just read there, they even had to turn people away from entering, as the scripture tells us, that those, there was no room to receive them. Just think for a moment, it would be like having this large church service, or maybe a concert that just had so many people, that anybody else that tried to enter, they were turned away and met at the door and said, you cannot come in because it's too packed. It was like this. But despite this incredibly large crowd, I want you to understand very clearly this morning, Jesus Christ, he saw everything. 
He saw everything that was happening. In our text, it clearly displays in many ways that Jesus saw every need. He saw every single heart. He saw every single issue. He saw every single soul. And while it would be easy for just any random person to get lost in such a big crowd as this, the eyes and the mind of Jesus Christ was perceiving everything. There was nobody in that room, as packed as it was, there was nobody in there that could say, well, you know, Jesus, he does not understand what I'm going through. Nobody in that room could say, uh, Jesus just doesn't get it. Nobody could say, Jesus doesn't know my problems and, and, and uh, my afflictions and everything that I'm going through. No, he knew everything. He knew exactly what was going on. And I want you to know this morning that nobody here can say that either. Nobody here today can say, Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't get it because he does. He knows all things. And if I could summarize these 12 verses, I would do so with Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. Let's go there. Go to Proverbs 15, verse 3. It's a good summary of these 12 verses. It's a common, commonly known verse. You probably could quote it. Proverbs chapter 15. And look at verse 3. Proverbs 15 verse 3. It says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Christ sees all things, good and bad. Now to us today, that can be wonderful and scary at the same time, right? But Christ sees everything. The eyes of Jesus did see and does see all things. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says of Christ that all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him. And this morning, we find this to be true in our text as Jesus looked around, he saw a searching crowd. As he looked up to those four men, he saw sufficient faith. As he looked down, when that man was lowered down on that bed, and he looked down, he saw a man that was in need of forgiveness of sin. And then as our text tells us, as he looked inside of the hearts of the scribes, he saw skepticism and he saw doubt. So as we dig into all this this morning, I want you to know that Christ sees your needs. He sees your needs. He sees where you are right now. And it doesn't matter where you are right now. He will meet you where you are right now. And he can give you help. He, he's not up in heaven wondering what you're going through. He's not trying to figure out what you're thinking. He's not trying to, to find out what you need because he already knows it all. So let's begin by going back to our text in Mark chapter 2 and look at Verse 2, again, Mark chapter 2, I read twice already the, the beginning of verse 2, but let's look at the last part. Look what it says. With, the, with the, this crowd, they had so many people, they, were, they had no room to receive any more. They couldn't even enter into the door. And it says in verse 2, he preached the word 
unto them. We see from this that many, again, many people were gathered in this house. Luke's account of this tells us that among those people were Pharisees and doctors of the law. But as Jesus was hemmed in this heavy mass of people and he looked around, he saw a crowd and no doubt this crowd was searching. They would be searching for truth. They would be searching for help and searching for healing and for guidance. And there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus, like he did many times, he had compassion on this crowd. As they were like the the multitude in Matthew chapter 9 where it says that they were as sheep having no shepherd. They were searching for something. And by the way, everybody today, they are searching for something. And as Jesus looked around and he saw this crowd... He knew exactly what they needed, and he acted accordingly. But I want you to notice, he didn't entertain them. He didn't take a poll and find out what they wanted him to do. He didn't even do mass healings at this time. What did he do? He preached the word unto them. And this preaching was a public proclamation of God's word. And here we are, we have droves of people before Christ. And he saw their need. They needed God's word. And church, as we're assembled together this morning, this is exactly what each of us need. We need the preaching of God's word. The preaching of God's word is one of the most important needs of our day. And listen to me carefully. The preaching of God's word is the most important aspect of the church service. True growth and faith and power will not come from your favorite genre of music. It will not come from an hour of entertainment that's disguised as worship. And it won't even come from funny stories, emotional illustrations, or heartwarming TED Talks. It's not going to come from any of that. Spiritual growth and faith and power will stem from the preaching of God's word. That is what you need. That is what I need. As one pastor said, no church will rise any higher than its pulpit. Strong preaching produces strong churches. Look, strong biblical preaching... It may not produce big crowds, but it will certainly equip the believer. Strong preaching may not be comfortable, but it will bring about conversions. Strong preaching may not always feel good, but it will most certainly build your faith. And that's why Paul told Timothy to preach the word. Psalm 119, we, we've gone through that. We did, start, we did that in the beginning of Sunday morning services for a while. And that, that, that chapter demonstrates why we so desperately need the Word of God above all else. We need it more than music. We need it more than fun. We need it more than entertainment. We need it more than stories. And we need it more than anything. Let's go there. I want to look at several verses in that chapter. Psalm 119. We need the Word of God. We need to preach the Word. Look at Psalm 119. Again, we're just going to go through different portions of this to see why do we need the word of God. Psalm 118, verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, 
wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to, look what it says, thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Look what it says here. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Hey, God's word is the best weapon to defend against sin. It's the best. That's why you need the word. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. It says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Hey, look, the word of God, it gives us the best counsel and the best advice. There's a lot of people today, even Christians, they'll, before they would ever go to the word of God, they'll go to their best friend, they'll Google advice, they'll look for an article online to find out, well, how should I deal with this situation? Hey, the best counsel that you can get comes from the word of God. That's the best counsel. Look at verse 28. It says, my soul melteth for heaviness, strengthen Thou me according to or unto according unto thy word. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Hey, there's some people here this morning. Maybe you're lacking strength. You're having a hard time. Maybe you're having a little bit of difficulty pressing on, going forward for God. Strength, the best source of strength is strength from the Almighty God. And we get that from His word. Look at verse 50. Verse 50 says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Hey, listen, you need comfort? You need help? You're not going to find it in the bottle. You're not going to find it in the pills. You're going to find comfort from the Lord. You're going to find comfort in the word of God. Look at verse 97. Verse 97. And 98. Verse 97 it says, Oh how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies for they are even for they are ever with me. This tells us here that the word of God it teaches us the mind and the law of God. And we need to know the, the mind and the law of God. We'll never be able to fully comprehend it, but we need to know it and we can learn uh, the mind and law of God in the scriptures. Look at verse 105. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We, we learn from this that the word of God leads us and it guides us in truth. And in a world full of error and lies, the word of God is 100% true. Look at verse 127. Why do we need the word of God? One, verse 127 it says, Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Hey, listen, the word of God is more valuable than gold. That's why we need the word. I'm not going to read about verse 165 tells us how the word of God gives us peace. And man, look, the world is always looking for peace. It can be found in the word of God. Psalm 19 verse 7 tells us that the law of the Lord converts the soul. Listen, the word of God does that which nothing else can do. And that is why we need the word. The people in Mark 2, this is why they needed the word. Now you can guarantee that, uh, no doubt, among these people in Mark chapter 2, 
There were many people that were looking for something. Again, I, I told you, people were always searching for something. But they were probably looking for something else, maybe besides the word of God. Maybe these people in Mark chapter 2, maybe there were some that were looking for miracles. They were looking for food. They were looking for entertainment like Jesus was some kind of magician. Uh, or maybe they were looking for some other thing that they thought Jesus could offer them. But as Jesus saw that crowd, he did the work of an evangelist. And he preached the gospel because he knew that's what they needed. And listen, as a church and as individuals, we are never more like Jesus Christ than when we preach the word and tell them the gospel because this is what he did. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. Look at a couple places here to show you that Jesus, this is what he did. He preached the word. He preached the gospel. This is Christ-like. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. It says, and they went out, and what's it say? Preached that men should repent. What's it mean to repent? Turn from your sins. Turn to God. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Luke 4, 43. It says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore I am I sent. So he's saying, for this is the reason I'm here. I'm here to preach the gospel. Look at verse 44. And he preached. In the synagogues of Galilee. Go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Verse 1. Luke chapter 20 verse 1. It says. In verse 1. And it came to pass. That on one of those days. As he taught the people in the temple. And preached the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that giveth thee this authority? And by the way, we know that authority came from God. But this, again, this is what Jesus did. He preached the gospel. You want to be Christ-like? Then preach the gospel to people. And by the way, you don't have to get up in, a, in front of a pulpit to preach the gospel. You can preach the gospel in your workplace. You can preach the gospel in your family. You can preach the gospel out in the community. You can tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as Jesus, as he looked around, he saw that crowd, he saw their need, and he met it. He gave them the word of God. And in our text, we see that Jesus then, he looked up, and he saw sufficient faith. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Look at verse 3 of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And they come unto him, bringing one, of the, uh, one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So as this crowd of people swarmed Peter's home, 
to the point that there was no more room. There was these four men that brought this paralyzed man that could not walk to Jesus so that he could be healed. And obviously he was unable to walk, so he had to have people to just carry him, to bring him around. And we're told that this paralytic man was born of four. And that just simply means to, that word born means to carry what's been raised up. So that's what they did. They picked him up, picked up his bed, probably one on each corner, and they uh, brought him to Jesus. And this really was the greatest thing that anybody ever could do, bringing their friend to Jesus Christ. I want you to know this morning, church, that the very best thing that you can do for your friend, it's not to be there for him in a crisis. The very best thing that you can do for your friend is not to help them in their time of need. Those are good things. But the very best thing that you can do for your friend is bring them to Jesus Christ. Coworker, maybe you have a coworker, you work a job. The best thing you can do for your coworker is not to finish a project for them. It's not to pick up their shift. The very best thing you can do for your coworker is to bring them to Jesus Christ. Your family, moms, dads, parents, listen. The greatest thing that you can do for your kids is not to, to be the, the very best mom or dad. It's not to give them uh, things that you never got. It's not to take them to practice and go to every game. Again, good things, but the best thing that you can do for your child is to bring them to Jesus Christ. Because that lasts for eternity. And this is what these four men did. But these four men did more than that. They didn't just pick up his bed, walk to the building to get their friend to Jesus Christ. They went above and beyond. They, they saw the great throngs of people and they saw uh, the, that building without a, a single opening to get in. And they came up with a very bold and innovative way to get this man in front of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Most people... They would have said, well, we tried. You know, they walk up to the door. They see they can't get in. We tried, right? We did our part. And God closed the door. We would have probably said that, you know, uh, it wasn't God's will for it to happen. So we're just going to go home. But not these men. They were determined to do what needed to be done. Look again at verse 4. It says, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. What we see here in this verse is truly amazing. Most homes in these times, they had external stairways to the roof. So this roof, it would be flat. It was made of mortar and tar and ashes and sand with tiles underneath it, Luke the Luke, Luke's account tells us that they had tiles underneath it that they pulled up. And this verse, it tells us they, they uncovered the roof. They broke it up. They dug a hole. They, they scooped out the material. And in essence, they unroofed the roof. That's what they did. And as they, they dug this hole, they had to make it pretty big. Because this man was lying down flat on his bed because he couldn't walk. Uh, so imagine the, the loud noise above Jesus as he was preaching the gospel. And soon as he was doing this, there would be dust and debris falling on top of people's heads. Uh, and then the sun would shine through that very large hole. Now, I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen and I've heard of some pretty crazy interruptions to a sermon. But this one probably takes the cake. You can imagine what was probably going through people's minds as they saw this going on. How about we just take, for example, just imagine for a moment being Peter, <laughs> right? 
Imagine what was going through his mind. As patient and as long-suffering as that man was, right? <laughs> Just imagine. Now his house has a massive hole in it. And as Peter just looks up and he sees this six-foot hole probably, right? Uh, and he sees those men. It's most likely he probably saw dollar signs and a big mess. And is thinking, now how's my roof going to be fixed? What am I going to do about that? And he probably stood there in shock. But Jesus, as he looked up and as he saw that hole, and as he saw those men, he saw something entirely different than Peter did. He saw great faith. Look again at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. He saw faith. Now look, faith, it's not something that we can apprehend by our senses. We can't, it's not something we can physically touch. Uh, or, or really, we can't really see faith. But the Bible tells us here that Jesus did. He saw their faith. He saw that the faith of these men was real. It was an active faith. And by the way, true faith is an active faith. Faith gets involved. Faith moves. Real faith gets in the game and it does something for God. Real faith goes forward. Real, genuine faith, it works for Christ. Genuine faith does not just sit on the couch and, and not do anything for God. Real faith gets involved and does what needs to be done. That's what these men did. They had real faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he looked up and he saw their faith and he saw their great work of faith. And this great work of faith, this great faith that these four men had would yield great results. As Jesus, once the, the, the bed was lowered down, he would then look down at this man. And then he would see a man that was desperately in need of forgiveness. Look again at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. As Jesus declared this man's sins to be forgiven, he saw beyond what everybody else saw. You know, if you and I were in that building... We would have been like everybody else and we would, we would have just seen a lame man that couldn't walk, that needed physical healing, that needed to, to be able to have the ability to walk again. But not Jesus. Jesus Christ, he looked through this man as if he had x-ray vision and he saw a man in need of spiritual healing. Jesus went past his physical need and he went directly to his most important need, which is forgiveness from God. And this man is just like each of us here. We are desperately in need of forgiveness from God. That is every man's greatest need. If you're here this morning and you've not gotten forgiveness from God, you need to know very clearly that is your greatest need in this very moment. Your greatest need is not to have a better marriage. Your greatest need... It's not to have a better job or a better financial situation. It's not to have better health. Your greatest need is for Christ to say to you, your sins are forgiven. Because without forgiveness from God, we are only sinners that are standing condemned before a holy God. But Jesus Christ, he is the only way to get forgiveness from sin. And we see this with this lame man. John 3, 36 tells us, and those that do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are uh, underneath the wrath of God. They're facing the wrath of God. 
those that do not turn in, uh, turn to and trust in Christ, they are facing his wrath and they will be forever separated from God. And this is a huge problem. It's an eternal problem with an eternal consequence. But Jesus Christ brings eternal life and he brings us forgiveness from sins. This forgiveness, it erases our sin debt. It brings us into fellowship with God as I trust in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for my sin. And forgiveness, no doubt, it meets our greatest need. It costs the greatest price, which was the, the blood of Jesus Christ and his life. It brings us the greatest blessing and the most lasting result, which is eternity in heaven. And as Jesus Christ, as he told this man, your sins are forgiven. I want you to understand that word there. It means a immediate and total and complete forgiveness. Just like that song that we sang. It wasn't partly forgiven. It was completely forgiven. And that word forgiven, it's a Greek verb that means the sending or driving away. And this is very interesting. This pictures the Day of Atonement. Back in Old Testament times, the Israelites, they would have a scapegoat that would be chosen to have the, the to, that would be chosen to bear the sins and the iniquities of the Israelites on him. And then they would send it off into the wilderness to be forgiven and forgotten for that time. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 13, uh, 16 to see that. This is a great picture of this. And this is maybe something a lot of people don't know about. But it's a very important point is that word forgiven means a sending away, a driving away. <clears throat> Look at Leviticus chapter 16 verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So there would be a chosen scapegoat. Look at verse 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Look at verse 20. It says, and when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sin, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and, when, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Listen, this is a beautiful picture of Christ. Jesus Christ is our scapegoat. He is the chosen one that, that, bear, that bore the iniquity and our sin upon himself. And if you're here this morning, and you trust in Him, and you call upon Him, your every sin will be, as the Bible says, cast into the deepest sea. It will be made as far as the east is from the west. It will be driven into the wilderness and forgotten. And thank God for that. And this is something that this paralyzed man, by the way, he couldn't do it on his own. He could not forgive his sins. And nobody else can forgive their sins. Only God could do that. And this man, as he had faith in Christ, he heard the two most important and really the most wonderful words of the gospel, which is son and forgiven. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, you are a son or a daughter of God and your sins have been forgiven. 
He was put in the family of God. He was put into fellowship with Him. I want you to consider this morning, have you been put into the family of God? Have your sins been forgiven? Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not you might be. No, you will be. You shall be saved. It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, it's not of works. It's only by Christ. It's through Christ. But Jesus, he saw this man's need of forgiveness. And again, listen, he sees yours. If you're here today and you're not saved, he sees your need for forgiveness and he bids you to come to him. So won't you come to him today? Won't you be saved and forgiven as this man? And by the way, you may think, well, I don't deserve forgiveness. Well, welcome to the club. Nobody does. This paralyzed man, he didn't do anything to deserve this forgiveness. But his faith enabled him to be forgiven. And he can give you forgiveness if you would just come to him. So Jesus, as he looked around, he saw that searching crowd. He met their need. He looked up and he saw that sufficient faith of those four men. Uh, He looked down and he saw this man in need of forgiveness and he met that need. And lastly, let's go back to our text of Mark chapter 2 and see that as he looked inside the hearts of the scribes, he saw skepticism and doubt. Mark chapter 2. And look at verse 6 again. Said, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins only but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith, To the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. As the scribes and the rabbis heard Jesus speak, they were shocked as they listened to his words. And no doubt they would, of course, be jealous of his popularity and power uh, for all that he did. And the Bible tells us here that they reasoned in their hearts as Jesus declared this man was forgiven of his sins. They were deliberately trying to wrap their mind around Jesus making that statement, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they found these words to be obnoxious. They found these words to be slanderous as they said in their heart that this was blasphemous. That word blasphemous, it meant that they believed that he was uttering injurious speech. Why though? Why would he think that? Why would they believe that? Well, because as they said, Only God can forgive sins. And in their skepticism, they were right in one way, because only God is able to forgive sins. Let's look at Isaiah 43. Go to Isaiah 43. Look at verse 10. Isaiah 43, verse 10. It says... In Isaiah 43, verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me was no God formed, neither shall there be after. And look what it says. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. Savior of what? Savior of sins. Look at verse 23. 
It says in verse 23, Thou hast not brought me the small cattle, thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering or wearied with incense. Uh, and of course, they would bring these offerings for forgiveness of sin. So, listen, God is the only one that's able to forgive us from our sins. Listen, you can't go to a priest and get forgiveness from sins. You can't pray to a saint and get forgiveness from sins. You pray to Jesus Christ and he'll give you forgiveness from sins. So yes, these scribes, they were right in the sense that only God could forgive sins, but they were wrong to doubt that statement that Jesus was able to do it because, listen, Jesus was God. He declared in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. So yes, only God can forgive your sins, but Christ is God. And because he was God, it says in our text that he saw their hearts. He knew their thoughts. It says that he perceived what they were saying in their hearts. And Christ, in doing this, he, he looked within their hearts. And it was as if he was reading a letter without opening the envelope. And the verse says that he perceived in his spirit their reasoning. This means that he was fully aware with his mind and his feeling what was in their hearts. He knew their doubt. He understood their hesitation. It was no mystery to him. He knew it all. He knew their sinful thoughts. And they doubted his message. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that they doubted who he was. And then he once again meets these people where they are. They're in the middle of doubt. They're in the middle of criticizing. And Christ met them there and allowed his miracle to validate his message. He did not allow their doubt to stop him from proving that he was God. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And see this in verse 9 again. Mark chapter 2 verse 9. After he asks the question, why are you reasoning in your heart? He says in verse 9, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy that sin be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise up and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Now look at that. He, he's saying, listen, I do have the power to forgive sins. I am God. And he's saying, I will help you to know uh, this to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. So watch this. Look at verse 11. I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all. Hey, he proved he was God. With authority and with power, Jesus commands this man to take up his bed and go home. He gets up and he walks. And Jesus erased any doubt that he was a farce. And he brought complete physical healing to this paralyzed man. And the faith of a few overcame the doubts of the religious leaders. And Christ silenced the critics. And it says he amazed everyone. Look at the last part of verse 12. It says, in so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. They had never seen anything like this before. Uh, that word amazed, uh, it speaks to somebody being beside themselves. They were just like, it was almost like they were out of their mind. They just couldn't believe what they had seen. And it was so exciting. And Christ, he wanted to bring light to this dark place and to these doubting hearts. And he saw the, the doubts of these scribes, and he uh, wanted to prove his deity by doing this incredible miracle. And all those that had known this man before, they could 
validate the legitimacy of this miracle, proving that Christ was 100% who he said he was. So listen, church, in, our, in every instance of our text today, Christ saw where every soul was. He knew their thoughts. He knew the state of their soul. He knew their needs. He knew their faith. He knew everything about them, and he met them where they were. He met the needs where they were. And today, as I mentioned in the beginning, he knows your every need. He sees you where you are. He can provide whatever it is that you need right here or right now. So if you're searching like this crowd was, he can give you spiritual healing and the answers that you need. If you're here today and you have active faith like those men that brought this man to Christ, he can use you to do incredible things for his glory because God works through the means of people to accomplish his will and to bring people to saving faith. If you're like this paralyzed man that's in need of forgiveness, then know that Christ can grant it to you as you trust in him by faith. And if you're like these scribes that were doubting and criticizing, then you can see the truth of Christ as it's been preached today. You know, maybe somebody here has come with a critical and doubting spirit. I urge you to leave here with a repentant heart. Open your heart to the truth of God and be gloriously saved from your sins. Be forgiven by God. And you know what's even more amazing about all this? If you're like that today... He sees your sin, and He still offers you salvation. He sees your sin, and He still loved you enough to send Christ to die for you so that you could be saved. Listen, God sees, He knows, and He can provide for your every need. But you need to let Him do it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.